people are going to have to guess what the first part of this was. Um, <laughs> but there have been so many similarities between our, our time and the time of Jeremiah. And that has included to the point where specific scriptures have attached to and, and almost directly addressed specific situations in our time and place, even though they are centuries separated from one another. So just as Jeremiah has been speaking to this corrupt, greedy, self-centered nation, similar to ours, it would have been great if Jeremiah's parting words had given us some sort of specific guidance of, okay, where do we go from here? These are the last words of Jeremiah. Where, maybe we can get some great guidance for ourselves in where we go as a people. But they actually don't really do that. Uh, in fact, this story of Jeremiah doesn't end with words at all. It ends with an action. Babylon has overrun the nation of Judah. It's pillaged and burned the capital of Jerusalem, including burning the temple of God. The majority of people have been forced into exile into the land of Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, or the area. And the kingdom of Babylon reigns as the most feared, powerful nation in the known world. Jeremiah does have some words on the matter. He does say that someday God will destroy Babylon and God will make it desolate. But he doesn't say when that will happen. He doesn't say how it will happen or by whom it will happen. He just says some people from the north. Instead of words, Jeremiah gives a kind of a sign that it will happen. He sends his friend Sariah to visit the exiled community in Babylon. Sends Sariah to read this message from Jeremiah that essentially says, Babylon won't be in power forever. God will see to that. And then... Sariah is supposed to tie that scroll to a rock and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River that runs right through the heart of the kingdom of Babylon. And then watch it sink. That's how the story ends. Rock with a message tied to it, thrown into the river of Euphrates, glub, glub, glub. So ends Jeremiah. We have no idea if Sariah ever did this, uh, if it ever actually happened. But I was thinking about what this might have been like for the exiled community if he had done it. On the one hand, the original gesture on its own would be meaningful, uh, a significant event. The accompanying message did come from Jeremiah and all of his other previous prophecies had come true. So there's that. Maybe this would also come true. 
and it was kind of a cool visual aid, uh, especially if it was tied to like a really big rock. And, you know, it had to kind of be shot put it out into the river as far as it could. And, you know, so there'd be that big splash and plunk. Now that would have been, you know, fun. They could have stood on the river. Take that, Babylon. But then I thought about it even more. What if Sariah had done that and you'd been there to see that happen? Think about it. Maybe you've had a particularly bad day. The, the injustice of the situation has been particularly grievous or the sadness of all that the Babylon, uh, Babylonians have stolen from you and your people and your family. Maybe that's overwhelmed. Maybe you're just enraged at your powerlessness. Wouldn't it be great if at some point you could head down to the river pick up a huge boulder and just chuck it out into the river for as, as far as you could get it and then listen to the big splash and watch it sink and know someday that's going to be Babylon. Think about what a cathartic experience that would be. It wouldn't make your problems go away, but for a moment you could embody a different life. Now, again, we don't know if this act ever took place, but even the words of the messages themselves that are collected in this book of Jeremiah are meant to provide a similar experience of embodying a different reality. Listen to Kathleen O'Connor, who is a professor at Columbia University, or Seminary in Georgia. She writes, Jeremiah's sunken scroll enacts literary justice, as do the oracles written upon it. The fall of Babylon is certain, but that fall and the destruction accompanying it exist only in the imaginings of the poet. In the world of literature and in the hearts of the people. The disaster isn't over. The prophetic sign is promissory, an event to be hidden in history. The oracles leave justice in God's hands, but they tell the people of Judah that although they may not see the turning of the tables now, the word has been spoken, performed, and that word is certain. I love that word she says there, that the, the word has been spoken and performed, enacted. She goes further with this idea pointing out that there are a lot of sections of this book of Jeremiah that people suspect may have been used specifically for when God's people gathered together for public worship. So she writes, they may have been rituals of public worship designed to assert divine sovereignty and announce divine triumph against the unjust. 
as rituals, they would act out recovery among survivors as if it were already here, already true. Liturgical rituals of all sorts create meaning by giving form, substance, and focus to the past and to the future. In shared gesture and speech, in body and emotion, they gather people together, draw them back into community, and provide hope for a different future. Participating in the rituals of our religion, whether it's throwing a rock into a river or eating bitter herbs at a Seder or praying a psalm together, allows us to embody the past and the future. Now, as followers of Jesus, the Anointed One, we experience this most significantly in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Through both the words and the actions, the bread and the wine, we remember, we add body, life to what has happened, and we embody what will happen. Jesus himself gave us this ritual. As Matthew put, wrote it in his gospel, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Of course, it's not his actual body. He was standing right there. So it was a, a sign of what was. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. That's the future. That is what this sacrament embodies. And then, of course, Jesus, I mean, Paul and all the earliest followers of Jesus knew immediately that this ritual was vital to remember both who we are and create who we will be. He writes to those in Corinth that he, he passed on just as he received it from the Lord. And then he goes through, again, this is my body, which is for you, in the same manner after he took the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim both the Lord's death, what was in the past, until he comes, what will be in the future. Interestingly, uh, this ritual of ours, the Holy Communion Sacrament, unites us with our spiritual ancestors from the days of Jeremiah as well. When Jeremiah first declares that Babylon will fall, he points to something even more important than simply the fall itself. This is the beginning of chapter 50, just verses 1 through 4. 
This is the word that the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations, lift up a banner and proclaim it, keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame, Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both people and animals will flee away. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God in repentance. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. That everlasting covenant is the one which we believe Jesus made possible through his death and resurrection. In many ways, not much has changed with human beings over thousands of years. The disaster is not over. Yet, it won't always be this way. A day will come when all things will be set right. There will be no more tears, no more dying. When we participate in the rituals of our religion, especially Holy Communion, we not only proclaim the future, we enact it. 